Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, joined by John Ronaldo. John, how's it going, my friend? Oh, man, life is good, man. I am enjoying uh, a little bit of cold weather, nothing like what you're all dealing with on the East Coast, uh, but a lot of sunshine, and I'm happy about that. And But I understand that you were uh, here in California, not here, but there in California recently. How was the weather there? Man, you can take the man out of California, but you can't take California out of the man, John. Uh, yeah, no, I was in Fresno, it, 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 and you know what? Um, Fresno and, 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 and Vegas are on the same uh, longitude, right? Just about? or Pretty close, like, pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. Not quite. Uh, so I, I could attest to the fact that it was actually pretty chilly there. Um, and uh, yeah, I would say Maryland's not too bad right now. It's raining right now, which mm-hmm. it's kind of a good thing that snow um, north of us. Uh, is getting blasted. Um, I know earlier in the week of when we're recording this, um, which is probably a couple weeks ago, um, it was uh, single digits here in Baltimore. Um, in fact, when I had hopped on the plane to go to Fresno, uh, my car read nine degrees. Um, and I wasn't going to complain because my in-laws and my my family up in Jersey and upstate New York and, and everything like that, uh, they were dealing with negative uh, temperatures. So oh, yeah, yeah. I like... I, I like camping out and that stuff. I don't like living in that stuff. And you got to like, uh, you got to be prepared for it. But uh, whether you are chilly or uh, basking in the sun and uh, thinking thoughts about summer or uh, still recovering from the holidays, we're glad that you guys could join us. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of interesting, John, because uh, there are a lot of big um, events coming up. I know we've got the LA Congress coming up. Uh, there's the... Um, you know, uh, members meeting for uh, the National Federation of Catholic Youth Ministry. There are d- still documents coming out about the Synod. Uh, you know, lots of stuff happening in the church. Um, and it, it's uh, kind of an interesting time to be Catholic. Yeah, for sure. And of course, we just finished up World Youth Day too. And so yeah. a whole bunch of folks were down in Panama. So yeah, there's a lot going on. It's interesting to kind of watch all the dynamics. Also, as we're dealing with the sexual abuse stuff is still out there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and the bishops did their prayer retreat back in the first weekend of January. So it was really, it, it's an interesting time to pay attention kind of globally about what's happening in the church, both, you know, certainly nationally in the United States, but even beyond. And so a lot of things to keep our eyes on, uh, which I think is really important. I think any of us that are, are leaders in ministry need to pay attention to what the landscape looks like because the landscape for better or worse defines some of our work. And so, right. uh, for instance, this is, this is off topic. This is not our topic today, but I, I had responded to someone's Facebook post about how, you know, she was lamenting, rightly so. Why would anybody want to come to the church, you know, when we've got, you know, all these issues with sexual abuse and the hierarchy and whatnot? And, and absolutely right, you know, and, and, and that's a very valid thing. And so there are people that are, are maybe lifelong parishioners are maybe or maybe they are walking away. Maybe they're not. Who knows? I, I haven't done the survey on that. You know, but the reality is our ministries need to be upfront about all these things that are happening. And we can't just sweep them under the rug. That was my response to her is like, how do we address it from the parish level? We can't address it from the Vatican level, the U.S. bishops level, but we can address it as leaders in our own parish community. We can't hide from that. And so what can we do to bring it in the spotlight Mm -hmm. uh, and address it as necessary? And if we're serious about our evangelization efforts, well, then we need to be serious in the fact that these issues are issues uh, and, and people are affected by it. So let's not hide from it. 
Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, you and I, uh, well, you're involved in the university system with Parish uh, Success Group, you know, uh, me with Marathon Youth Ministry, we both go and speak. And, and there are a lot of these conversations on, okay, how are we bringing people to the church? How are we, you know, <clears throat> uh, staying relevant in the lives of people, um, yet uh, upholding our, our traditions and our faith? How are we sharing our faith? And, and so that kind of brings us to uh, today's topic, which uh, is all about catechesis. Now, if you hear the word catechesis, I know some people are like, oh, what's this going to be about? Or are they going to uh, bash it? Are they going to clarify it? Or, you know, is this going to be one of John's heady, uh, uh, um, you know, monologues? Uh, <laughs> the answer to all that is yes and no. No, uh, we're, 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 we want to talk about catechesis um, uh, mainly because there, uh, I think, as John was saying, as we were saying, there have been so many changes um, to uh, changes happening around around us, things in our control and out of our, out of our control. And I think we have to look at the way that we that we handle catechesis in the Catholic Church, and not just from uh, religious education for children or teenagers, and but catechesis for adults, for teens, and for kids. Uh, because I don't know about you, John, but every time I hear the word catechesis. I immediately go to like children's programs or, or teen programs or sacramental prep, but it, it's more than that. Right. Yeah. And that's, it's funny that you say that I, when, when I talk about catechesis, that's the first question I ask is that when you think catechesis, what, how do you define it? What is that mm -hmm. to you? And it's interesting to get the responses from folks to kind of hear what it is. It, it's everything from people saying, teaching from the catechism of the Catholic church and, and the orthodoxy and the rules and what we believe you know, uh, you know, so it's really interesting to hear these different responses. And, and one of the reasons we wanted to talk about catechesis today is, is we have to understand that, that catechesis is not an end in and of itself. Right. I think one of the challenges I have with church, and, and I'm not against catechesis, I'm all for catechesis, and I delve into all the, I mean, I love learning this stuff. I mean, this is my mm -hmm. life, you know. Um, but the reality is that because we have such a limited view on how we do church and, and, and is that we, we think our ministry has to be just catechesis and that's all it is. Right. And so we have to catechize and and we do a really great job of creating a curriculum. Right. And we know exactly what second graders need to learn, what third graders need to learn, what fourth graders need to learn in this curriculum that we focus on that learning as opposed to the greater, I guess the greater focus, which is ultimately evangelization. Going back to the conversation about evangelization in the modern world, St. Pope Paul VI in the 1970s wrote that document, and he was talking about how evangelization needs to be, the, is the primary mission of the church, and he specifically talked about three ways that we evangelize. And he said one of the three ways one of the three ways, not the only way, is catechesis, right? I emphasize that to say that catechesis is a means to an end. The goal of catechesis is about pointing people to Christ and that relationship with Christ in the community. It's not an end in of itself. Now, let's back up, Chris, and talk about the history of, of what's going on and how we got to this point as a church. Remember, we are a church of migrants. When we first right. came to the United States, you know, uh, Irish, Italian Catholics, German Catholics, we moved, you know, into this country, especially on the East Coast. 
and we were not positively looked upon. We, we were the right. other people that like us in the United States as Catholics. You know, we can argue whether that's still true today or not. That's a conversation for another day. But the reality is we, you know, in the eyes of others, we were dirty, we were poor, and we were different. And so we don't okay. want to deal with you. Uh, right. Interesting, we seem to be having some same conversations today. Again, yeah. a topic yeah. for another time, you know. So what happened is, is we, we built our ethnic churches, you know, our, we had our German church, our Irish church, our Italian church, et cetera, you know, and, and we lived in those same communities. And because the public school system at the time was very much against Catholic teaching and Catholic doctrine, even though it was public school, they were teaching religion at that time, and it was not a Catholic religion, so what, or, or a Catholic uh, perspective. So what the church did in its wisdom, I think, in that time is we created our own schools. And mm -hmm. so every Catholic that lived in the United States, lived in the same community, went to their neighborhood church and went to Catholic school. Right. As time progressed, Catholics were no longer the other, right? We, we started to gain wealth. We started to gain notoriety. We had a Catholic president. I mean, all these things kind of played a role in making Catholics mainstream. So what happened is that Catholics no longer felt a need to live in the same communities, which, you know, we don't anymore. We live, you know, amongst every other faith tradition here. And because of that, we did not feel the same need to send our kids to Catholic school. Now, again, that's a conversation for another time as well. We could talk about Catholic schools and the value that they bring. You know, I'm all for Catholic schools. My wife is a Catholic school teacher, so I, I'm all in, right? You know, um, but the reality is people started to not go to Catholic school. So what the church realized is that we were losing a lot of young people mm. who, who we were, they were not getting faith formation. It was all happening in Catholic schools. Now they weren't going to Catholic schools. So in comes the parish to say, hey, now we've got to provide faith formation in a different way. And we have to do it through the parish. Hence, what we now know as modern children's ministry and youth ministry came from that history. But what we did is we adopted the model that we had in Catholic schools mm. and brought it, basically just picked it up and plopped it in the parish. Right. So that's why you see textbooks, um, uh, a lot of publishers that distribute textbooks, the one version they have for the pa parish versus the one that they have for the school is, is pretty similar because it, it, it's set up to say, serve that same purpose. Absolutely. Well, and the guidelines are the same, right? Again, right. What, what you're teaching at a Catholic school in religion class is the same thing that we're that same grade. We should be teaching that in the parishes as well. So that's all we did. Now, times have changed dramatically, right? And what has happened, and we've talked about this many times on the podcast, Chris, is that we have catechized, but we have not evangelized. We have sacramentalized, as Sherry Waddell says, but we have not evangelized, right? So we have all these people through generations now who were taught stuff, right? And were asked to memorize stuff. Remember the Baltimore Catechism? Oh, yeah. you know, for those of you who are old enough to really know that, the whole goal of the Baltimore Catechism was to get you and me, well, not me because it wasn't my time, but to memorize facts, Yeah. right? And, and we've changed that. You know, we don't have the, the same focus on that. But the reality is we still teach stuff. Here are the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Memorize them. Here's the Ten Commandments. You need to know it. 
I agree that you need to know it. But the problem is those facts that we're asked to memorize have no rooting in relationship with Christ or relevancy in, in our lives. It's just like, let me memorize this because I need to check off my checkbox and pass this test, which by the way, there are still parishes in this world who give some sort of test before they can receive the sacraments. Um, no, <laughs> I mean, we really like, honestly, that's from a hundred plus years ago. We need to change our models and, well, and that and, doesn't work. And, and if I can interrupt, it's, it's, uh, taken over the way that we do, uh, you know, jump to sacramental prep. Um, you know, you, you mentioned like the tests that they take, but, um, you know, with, with sacramental prep, right. Where we can't, you know, if someone fails a test, we can't refuse them the sacrament because of some like man-made rule that we've incorporated yet. We've done that. And, and so we've taken catechesis and we've made it something that was not meant to be. And uh, it, it's really sad. And, and, and that's where, you know, a lot of times we as Catholics get the big T and the small T confused, you know, the, the, um, and we're like, well, this is the way that we've always done it. Maybe in your memory, but not in the life of the church. And that's not always what's effective. And, and you know, it's interesting because I think when that, when, when the Catholic school system was starting, uh, you know, when we look at, you know, for you and me, maybe our parents' generation or, or grandparents' generation, it was very much people believed already because it was just like who you are. You know, it was it, 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 like my, my grandparents on my mom's side were Italian. So their Catholicism was just as tied to their uh, Italian um, as, as, as a part of their deep rooted identity. And so there was this belief in not questioning. So all they needed was more information to fuel that fire. But now we're dealing in a world where we are living in information overload. And it's almost kind of like we have to reverse the system and, and teach people how to belong before uh, we can help them believe mm -hmm. um, and, and believe the, that, that information. So, so yeah, it, it's really, and I think this is like some of the stuff that's come out of the Synod, right? Um, you know, the stuff that has come out of uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Bob McCarty's uh, Going, Going, Gone and, and Growing Young and uh, and Quentro and all these other researches and things that have come out. And uh, so, all right, now that we know that uh, we've been hooking up people to a fire hydrant of faith, like, how do we wean them off and, and, and therefore what? Uh, what are your thoughts in regards to addressing this catechetical crisis that we might be in? Yeah, and maybe crisis is too strong of a word. I know, but I, I, think, just, I, went, I went told. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, about, it's about the, yeah. Yeah, it's the headline. Yeah. We're looking for the headline here. The crisis. Catechetical crisis, crisis, crisis. No. Uh, <laughs> maybe we'll about, make that the title of this How about podcast. conundrum? How about conundrum? <laughs> there you go. I like that. So, all right, all right. The, this know, catechetical conundrum. <laughs> well, the reality is, look, we still need catechesis. So I'm right. not at all saying let's get rid of catechesis. But in its proper order. Okay, and so you had you had said belonging leads to believing. That's you know, from Gallup research, you know, years ago. The great book, Growing an Engaged Church, did a research on uh, on all these all these faith communities and basically determined that their number one thesis was belonging leads to believing, not the other way around. So believing doesn't lead to belonging. What was their point? Their point was saying that the relationships are a key aspect of people's beliefs, right? So 
just, just take a look at it. any other realm, right? We surround ourselves with people who think and act like us, right? Mm-hmm. And in turn, the people that we surround ourselves help shape our thinking, okay? So, so let's translate that into church. We surround ourselves with Catholics, engaged Catholics, not just cultural Catholics who go because they have to, you know, and who pray, pay, and obey. Look, those days are gone, folks, and they should be gone because we, I, we want engagement, right? But if I'm surrounding my kids, for instance, with a community of engaged Catholics who are faithful, well then, yes, hopefully mom and dad are rubbing off on, on my children about what we believe. But even more powerful is when, my God, when the godparents are rubbing off on my kids and when our friends are rubbing off on the kids. And so they start to realize that this, what we believe is not just something that mom and dad came up with, but there's so much greater uh, relevancy to it. So, so the idea that we need to start with relationships and Sherry Waddell says the same thing in her book, Forming Intentional Disciples, is we have to start with building trust and building relationship. And in this day and age, when so many people are anti-institution, not just Catholic institutions, a lot of institutions, corporations, politics, whatever, right? right? It's very, it's almost in our DNA to be anti-institutions. We have to start from a different model and it's not, it shouldn't be, Pope Francis says this, so I believe it. Although that's not necessarily a bad place to start, you know, but the reality is I need to ground people locally. And so mm-hmm. how do we build the relationships? How do we build the community that then people feel safe and trusted to have the conversations? And when the church teaches, you know, about transubstantiation or the idea of, of Jesus is consubstantial of the father, you know, then we have a safe place where our young people and old, older people can question that and say, what does that mean? Same in substance. How, how is the body and blood actually this bread and wine? How does that make sense? See, we haven't created the environment where it's safe to ask the questions. And because it's not safe to ask the questions, the questions aren't asked or they're asked in forums with people who don't have the answers, i.e. YouTube, you know, and wherever else where people can just spat off anything and name it as truth when the reality is that not everything is true. So, I mean, I, th- I think it really starts with, with that relationship thing. And I think the second thing, Chris, and I'll let you jump in here, but I think we need to root it in the relevancy of lives. So, okay, here's the creed. I just did a session with uh, a bunch of catechists on the creed and we went through the Nicene creed and the apostles creed and talked about the differences and talked about the history. Okay. That was all fun. And we, but we ended with what does this mean for you every week and maybe even every day we're reciting these creeds. Okay. What does it mean to you? Is it just something that you say over and over and over again? You haven't memorized, even with the new translation, you haven't memorized now, but it doesn't sink in. My job when I'm working with these catechists is to say, what does it mean for you? Do you believe all this? You say it every week. Do you actually believe it? Do you understand what you're saying and what relevancy does it have in their lives? Again, pointing it to the idea that catechesis leads to evangelization. I want people to not only know what they believe, but to understand that's relevant in their lives and it connects them to Jesus and connects them to God. Do you think it's fair to say if, I mean, people really believe this stuff, uh, this stuff. If people really believed, if they really embraced the catechesis and, and their faith, that we wouldn't be having some of the logistical issues that we have, like getting people to become catechists or getting people to show up every week or 
um, creating more community around our parishes. You know, for fear of sounding like a silver bullet that solves all the church's problems, I think partially yes. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say like, be afraid of saying it's the silver bullet. I mean, it's simple solution, mm-hmm. but simple is not always easy. That's wow. like and it, like a lot of our faith is simple, mm-hmm. um, but it's not always easy to execute because of uh, you know sin and uh, the messiness in, in our world. You know, and we don't live in a vacuum. Right. So so yeah. So I. Um, but sorry, go ahead. I, I totally jumped in on you. <laughs> That's okay. But let's look at it in a different lens, right? Okay. Right. So someone comes out of college and he's got a film degree, right? Mm-hmm. Or she's got a film degree, right? And she's super passionate about film. And, uh, and, and so what does she do? Like she immediately immerses herself in the world of film. She's watching the movies, you know, and TV and, and she's reading scripts and she's looking at best practices of, best, of directors and producers and all sorts of things, you know, and seeing how actors act and, and is totally into, you know, like the Academy Awards and, and, you know, because that all shapes her world in a very mm-hmm. dramatic way. So what does she do? She's passionate about film. So she immerses herself in film. Mm. Okay. Now let's take that to church. If you're passionate about your relationship with God, if you're passionate about church, then you're going to immerse yourself in the world of church. And you're going to want to read St. Thomas Aquinas as heady as he is, because you are so into this that you want to learn, right? You're actually going to read the catechism of the Catholic church or delve into the saints or, or whatever, right? You know, and read the missal, you know, and understand liturgy, right? My point is this, when you're passionate about something and when it means something to you, you're going to delve into it and learn on your own. So at some point, you don't need a catechist to tell you what the Ten, uh, Ten Commandments are because you're going to want to seek that information out because it's real, it's important to you, you're so passionate about it. What we've lost is that passion because we've taught facts but haven't connected it to anything real in their lives. The most important, I always go back to this relationship, relationship with the community, relationship with God, you know? So if we get people hooked in relationship, yes, they're still going to ask hard questions. No, I don't guarantee that they're going to be a lifelong Catholic forever and ever, but I think we set ourselves up in a better way for them to truly want to go out and seek this information and have a bookshelf like mine that has church documents on it. And it has all sorts of things on it because I'm a church nerd and proud of it, but I'm passionate about it. That's why. You know, it's interesting though, is I think part of the struggle is, and this goes beyond the church that we are having trouble learning how to have relationships just in general. Right. Uh, because we are in a connected world that's so isolated. And uh, I know that's been thrown around a lot, uh, you know, with social media and, and the ability and, and people who have been listening to this long enough know, yeah, you're in Las Vegas, I'm in Baltimore. Uh, we, we talk half an hour a week, basically, on average. And, uh, you know, um, and, and sometimes I wonder, I was like, I talked to John Ronaldo who lives in Las Vegas half an hour once a week. That's more than how many people that live next door to me, live around me, you know, on, on a regular basis. And so, you know, you and I are connected and we've gotten to know each other over the last two years and everything. But, uh, you know, in my, in my community, in my parish center, uh, and don't worry, I'm not, I'm not ending this relationship, John, or podcast listeners, don't worry, we're not ending it. But I wonder how many people, like, I do not work on a relationship with 
so that there's that trust. So there's that uh, vulnerability to, you know, share what I'm passionate about despite criticism or ridicule. Uh, and, and so I think one of the reasons why we struggle to share our faith and develop passion is because uh, we have struggled, uh, and, and this is a huge generalization, but I, I really believe it. We as a society are struggling to have intimate, close relationships that maybe our parents and our grandparents' generations had when, when they were our age because we weren't so transient. We, weren't, we were pretty much where we were. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We, we, kids used to go outside and ride their bikes versus be on their iPads. Look, here's what I want you to do. If you're listening to this right now and you own an iPhone, I want you to open up your iPhone. I want you to go to system preferences and I want you to click on the button that says screen time. Click on that and it'll tell you how much you've used your screen in that day or your average. And then we'll break it down by social media, entertainment, games, productivity, other. I want you to look at your phone and tell me how many minutes or more have you spent on social media? And then how many minutes total have you been on your screen? Now, look, I'm a pretty social guy and I don't use my phone. I mean, I use my phone, but I don't use my phone a lot. And then I started doing screen time and I started analyzing this. I'm on my phone two hours a day. Now, some of that's productivity. I use it for email. I use it for calendar. Okay, so that's good. But how much of it is social media? How much is game? The, my only point there, Chris, is to, to say we are all challenged by the world that we live in today and how it draws us into screens versus how it connects us, uh, connects us to others. And as much, Chris, as much as we have a relationship over the screen, we've only met face-to-face twice, which is crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and how much, honestly, if we're real, how much do we honestly really know about each other, Chris? I mean, we know about our professional lives, but we are not like, you know, intimately related as, you know, in friendship, but like, tell me what your kids are up to and, and what's your wife, you know, and all that right. stuff, right? And, and, and I just point that out to say, like, it happens to all of us. But this is the argument for small groups again, right? Yeah. You know, that you, you know, you being in community, being in a small group is where these intimate relationships happen. I tell you, I am still without a small group here in Las Vegas. And it's going to take time because I have to build relationships and, and get mm-hmm. going with that. But I was, I was happier and more connected with people when I had my small group. And that made all the difference for me, from my faith life to my personal life, to my spiritual life, to my, my parenting skills, everything. And so there is an argument to say that small groups uh, is another means to an end, right? And, and I think helps with this relational aspect of things. And, and we'll lead people to catechesis. And I tell you, my, my men's small group, I'm still connected with all these guys, right? I've had conversations about what they're still talking about in their men's group. And they're delving deep into different things. Why? Because they have the avenue where they can safely do it, you know, in relationship with other godly men, other Catholic men. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so important. I mean, it definitely is important. And, you know, as you're talking, I was looking at, uh, at, at my, uh, my, my screen time which is a little, uh, a little off because, uh, you know, I, I w- I've been tra- traveling this week. So, you know, a little bit, but yeah, um, you know, looking at what I use most, which is actually, you know, my message app, my texting app, which I was kind of happy about. Uh, according to my week, uh, the second most used thing, which I won't count because it was on the plane, was uh, Candy Crush, you know, in a game and everything like that. <laughs> nice. But, 
but then uh, you know um yeah it, it, it's 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 really kind of humbling when you look at it and you're like all right yeah what am i using my phone for like how my how much of my day is allocated to this device versus the people who are around me right um and, and maybe so, that's a topic for another podcast you know how do we deal with our, our technology in ministry but 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 bringing it back to catechesis and everything uh, you know i i also you know, I'm not opposed to using technology for catechesis, you know, video trainings, uh, you know, doing a webinar for your parish, uh, you know, uh, people who do uh, use Instagram to uh, uh, do catechesis and whatnot. I think that's brilliant. I think that's great. But I don't think it replaces uh, the in-person uh, personal relationship that leads to those moments where catechesis becomes relevant. I think because we live in such a noisy world, with so much information um, shooting at us that sometimes we need to, you know, take a pause, focus on the person uh, before we uh, focus on the person and how they're doing before we focus on what they're, what they're learning. Yeah, that's really good. We are a church that is not uh, of the world, but we are in the world. What's my point in saying that? you know, best practices. Yes, absolutely. We should be using technology. We're obviously not poo-pooing technology. You know, we've got to go where our people are at and people want videos and they want screen stuff because that's where our eyes are, are constantly. So let's use it to our advantage for mm -hmm. the goal of evangelization. So again, my whole point of getting to screen time is just let's analyze that, you know, and, uh, I, I, I would bet that there's a lot of people that spend a ton of time on social media, you know, mm -hmm. and, and there are times I do too. So I'm right there with you, you know? Um, and, and again, I'm not poo-pooing social media, but again, in light of the context of the idea of relationship is important. Relationships online is different than relationships face-to-face. -face. Yeah. So what we've really been talking about more so is not catechesis in itself, but what we have to do to prepare to have a, a great system of, of catechesis, uh, to be able to help people become receptive, you know, and it, it's hard. And there is the adage of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, you know? And, uh, but that's the thing is we have to figure out how to lead people, you know, closer to truth, clo closer to, uh, uh, church teachings and, and church knowledge, but, uh, we can't force them to, to learn it and embrace it. We have to, Again, make it though, we, we have to remove those obstacles. We have to make it inviting and engaging. And, uh, and that comes from relational connection. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing. God created us to have a relationship with him. He created us to have a relationship with others. And that's, um, and that's because amazing things happen when, when we love one another. And, and, and catechesis is one of those things. Yeah. We provide people, we, we help as leaders, we help open the opportunity for conversion, but only the Holy Spirit can do that. And, and even if we do a terrible job of opening, you know, the door, the heart to conversion, the Holy Spirit can still work through that. So, you know, let's not put, you know, let's not make ourselves God in this either. You know, it's like, we, yeah, we can lead people to water, you know, they have to choose, you know, and the Holy Spirit plays a role in all this. But you know, the whole point of this is, is just to remember that catechesis is a means to an end. It's not yeah. the end in of itself. All right. And so, and catechesis is a super important one of three things that Pope Paul VI says is, is the primary way that we evangelize. So it's one of three, according to him. Now people may argue that there's more or whatever. I, I don't right. really care about that argument, you know, as much as say, 
catechesis has its prominent, important place in the life of the church. And, and we don't poo-poo it. We don't get rid of it. But I always said to youth ministry leaders when I was doing training is, 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 you know, you start with community building, you start with relationship building. Um, one, you know, because the bishop said so in renewing the vision, they said community building community is one of the eight components, you know, and so people may make fun of youth ministers or other folks for doing all the icebreakers all the time. Oh, that's, they just do icebreakers. Right, right. There's a point to that, right? There's right. a point to that. And uh, maybe we should have a, we should have a icebreaker podcast. Like what's your best icebreaker? So, <laughs> so anyways, Catechesis is a means to an end. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think, um, you know, uh, a takeaway that uh, I would offer is to look at your uh, catechesis um, at your current parish and, you know, ask the question, when we feel like people aren't getting it, are we amping up the amount of information that we're putting in because I think sometimes it's a tendency, right? Like they're not getting it. Let's do more or, um, are, uh, and therefore you have to tone it down or, uh, the other side of that is, you know, what, how do we, how do we break this down? How do we make this, uh, um, uh, easily digestible over the span of a, a child's life, a teenager's life, a young adult's life and an adult's life. And, and so I think uh, a couple of things, again, that we can look at is the fact that catechesis isn't just a children's ministry issue or a youth ministry issue. You know, it, it goes beyond that. The two, we have to create community around that. And three, we, uh, you know, just have to look at like the things that we're teaching and, and, and prioritize them and organize them in a way that is easy for people to receive. And I would say be careful to not water water catechesis down right and that i think i grew up with a watered down catechesis you know right? and i think part of it is we have to be careful not to go to the extreme and just do all relationship building either right you right, know? right that the reality is uh, you know junior high high school and young adults adults we're all capable of incredible critical thinking skills you know and so when we water it down to like a real basic understanding of things it's actually not a, it's not developmentally appropriate to, to water it down. And so, you know, sometimes we think, oh, they haven't had catechesis since their first communion. So let's be real basic with this. Okay. I mean, there's merit to that idea, but you know what? No, let, let's go heavy and deep into some of this stuff and really address it. Our minds are capable of addressing this. And I think as, as Bob McCarty might say, and this going, going gone research is that they are asking the questions we're not answering them. Mm. And that's also problematic. So we shouldn't water down. Like if we're going to do a, a thing on catechesis, let's go heavy and let's, let's make it relevant and answer the questions that they're asking, even if we don't know the answer to it. That just means you and I have more work to do. We have to go research it and figure that out. Yeah. And, and also learn how to present it though in a way that they can receive it though too. Because you just don't want to throw a book at them. You don't want to just say, read off the facts. You want to make sure that you're delivering it in a way that they can understand that as well. Because I think that's, and that's the challenge of watering it down or becoming a Pharisee, right? Like if you water it down because you're like, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, so I'm going to dance around the truth. Or you're just like, I'm going to give them the truth. And if they can accept it, they'll accept it. If they don't, you know, that's on them. Where, uh, you know, you want to make sure that it's in the right context and that you're helping them not just 
you're not just sharing it with them, but helping them walk through that, that, that truth. Yeah. And create the space for dialogue, right? You know, so you want to teach, and especially if you do this on moral issues or social justice issues, those are the fun ones, right? You know, is this is what the church teaches. All right, let's talk about it. What do you think? What do you feel? Can we, is the environment safe enough where we can, in our, our youth ministry sessions, talk about sex before marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And allow that conversation because you know every teenager is thinking about sex. That's really relevant to the lives of these young people. Is right. it a safe space where a young person say, I don't know if I buy into that, these sexual urges, I'm, I, I just want to go, right? You know? Um, you know, do we allow that safe environment? My, my gut tells me in many cases we don't, but I think we have room for growth there. Definitely, definitely. A lot to chew on, a lot to think about, and we would love for you guys to ask us questions, so feel free to shoot those to us at questions at thechurchpodcast.org, or you can reach out to John on, uh, on Twitter especially, or LinkedIn, um, or Facebook at John Ronaldo, uh, and you can find me on, uh, uh, on all social medias at Marathon Youth Ministry. Um, you can go to johnrinaldo.com or find him at the Parish Success Group or find me at marathonyouthministry.com. But definitely shoot us your questions at questions at thechurchpodcast.org. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing and, uh, and some of the things you might want to talk about. But uh, thank you, everyone, for being a part of the show. And, John, any final thoughts? Uh, just that I think we need prayer. What do you think? I, I like that idea. I like that idea. <laughs> All right. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for being able to, to talk uh, about catechesis as a means to an end, Lord. Help us to realize that everything that we do, our entire mission as church, our entire mission as leaders in the church is to evangelize, is to bring people to you, Lord. Help us focus our ministries on that and help us point the way like John the Baptist does and said, I must diminish, he must increase. Lord, let us help Christ. Let us help you be increased in the lives of the people that we serve in our parishes, our churches, our schools. In your name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.